One thing I've noticed over the past maybe 10 or 15 years is the amount of courtroom drama shows that are on TV. And, and, and maybe you like that. You've got two people that come in that have a disagreement. It's kind of like a small claims court, and then they, they televise it. But I remember when that all started, when reality TV actually started. I mean, most of TV now is just reality TV. But, but reality TV started with the people's court. And, and for the, I just lost like everybody 35 and under. But, but I remember people's court and you had Judge Wapner. How many of you remember Judge Wapner? Judge Wapner was, he was just, I just love watching him. He, he didn't take anything from anybody, anybody. He was the John Wayne of the courtroom. I mean, and so you had, you had Judge Wapner and then you had the bailiff that was rusty Right, he was kind of the Ed McMahon. They were, he'd always go to him, and they would banter back and forth. And then you had Doug Llewellyn, the court reporter, and he would go out and interview the people after. And basically, the premise of the show is that the judge makes the final decision on these small claims, and the, the judge gave his opinion, um, and then they would leave, and, and that was basically the end of the show. And then Doug would go out, meet with the people, and try to dig up a little controversy, but, but I love Judge Wapner because when he made the decision, that was it. You didn't argue with him. He was the judge. Now, now standing before a judge is usually not a good thing or not a pleasant thing for the simple reason you've done something wrong and you are accountable for the actions that you're making before this judge and you're going to be judged for these actions. And that's why we have laws to keep order. And if you break laws, there's going to be consequences. And without those laws, uh, there would be chaos. So one of the characteristics that we've been looking at and that we're going to look at today about God is that God is one of judge, that he is a judge. We've been looking at the love of God. We've been looking at the mercy of God. We've been looking at the grace of God. And all these things are really nice. And all of a sudden, if you read through the word of God, you're going to see that God is also described as one of judge. Now, it's a nice picture to frame God in this picture of love and grace and father, but of judge. I mean, that, that seems so harsh. That seems so judgmental. Like, God is judge. I don't know if I like that characteristic of God. And it's, it's hard for us to look at our lives and think that we actually are going to give an account to God. And we don't want to think about divine judgment and in, in that we're going to have to really give an account for our life. But I want you to see, I'm just going to read some passages of scripture for you to show you that one of the characteristics of God is one of judge. And, and so as we've been looking at the characteristics of God through this summer series, I want us to understand why is one of the characteristics that we see in the word of God is God of, as one of judge. And so let me give you a couple passages here. Psalm 75, 7 says, but is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Yikes. Let me read another one. It gets worse, okay? Just letting you know, it gets worse here. Matthew 12, 36. Um, I will tell you on the, uh, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. 
double yikes. Okay, and it, it, it doesn't get better, okay? It gets worse. So let me just warn you here. Romans 14, 10 says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you who, or who you do, you despise your brother? For we will all, all, everybody say all, all stand before the judgment seat of God. Hebrews 9, 27. And just as appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Second Peter 3, 7. For by the same words, but, but by the same word, the heaven and the earth now that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction on the ungodly. So, you know, I mean, these aren't usually passages you go to in the morning to lift yourself up, right? These aren't, these aren't the promises of God that we go in the morning and we say, okay, God, I need a good pick-me-up this morning, so let me open up your scripture and give me a nice, warm, fuzzy scripture to make me feel good during our day. We don't want to read, and just as appointed once for man to die, then comes judgment. Oh, that makes me feel good. Let me go about my day and give me all warm fuzzies. These aren't passages we normally go to, but they're there. And clearly we see that we will stand accountable and, and no one is beyond God's judgment. So we need to ask ourselves a question. Number one, why did I come to church today? Okay. No, I'm glad you're here because this is important that we talk about this. The, the question we need to ask ourselves is, is, is why are we being judged? And, and that, that's a hard word in our vocabulary in the world we live in today because we don't like when we get judged stop judging me you know we 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 don't we don't want to be accountable for our actions that's not really something we like or something that's in our vocabulary today but in order for us to be judged we had to break some type of law and obviously the word of god is showing us that we've broken some type of law if we're going to be judged one day. So at the end of the day, the, 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 the bottom line is that we are all lawbreakers. Now, I'm not talking about breaking the law like speeding, okay? Ruth Brooks. So I'm not talking about breaking the law when you, when you speed, okay? I love you, Ruth. She knows I love her as she whips by me going down 104. But anyways, spiritually, I want you to realize what the word of God is saying is spiritually, we have broken God's law. So, so all of us would agree that laws are supposed to protect us. And without laws, it would be anarchy. And we expect a good judge. And we would say that Judge Wapner, if he's a good judge, he's going to judge correctly by the law and give a fair judgment. And so if a judge would just let a criminal go free and not care about murderers, we would say, man, that is a terrible judge. He's not even upholding the law. He wouldn't stay in that position very long. Why? Because they're not upholding the law. In order for God, listen to me, in order for God to be good, like we've talked about in these last couple of weeks, in order for God to be fair, then he must judge us also. In order for God to be a loving God, and to be a caring God, and to be a merciful God, which he is, he also has to be a God that judges. So, so he, if he just overlooked our sin, he wouldn't be good. And, and he can't go against his very character. So all of us, 
All of us, spiritually speaking, have broken God's law and we deserved to be sentenced. And here's the reason why. God is a holy God and no one can approach a holy God. No one can just come before God and say, hey, God, I want to come before you because God is holy. We also, the Bible says, need to be holy if we're going to approach this holy God. But the word of God tells us that we're all broken, that because of the sin of Adam, we are all flawed with sin, that we're born in this sin nature. And so something needs to be fixed. We've all, the Bible says, we've all fallen short of God's perfection or fallen short of his glory. And what God did was, he was with Moses. He gave Moses these 10 commandments to show him how he wanted us to live our lives before God and before one another. These were given as guardrails to protect them, not to bound them, but to protect them. So God says, I don't want you to have any other gods before me. I don't want you to have any idols. Um, uh, I, I want you to have this right relationship with me. Um, then there's this right, right relationship between one another. He says, I don't want you to murder or commit adultery or to steal or to lie or to covet. Um, and, and as he gave these uh, commandments to Moses, he expected Israel to live this way under God's blessings and under his care. Now, how did Israel do? Well, they didn't do very well. In fact, they were all lawbreakers and they failed miserably. It was a reflection of their sinful hearts. So I want us to get real for a moment because we can look back at Israel and say, oh, look how much they failed as they went through the wilderness experience and how they broke all God's laws and how they caused God to become angry and so on and so forth. And, and here's what I, I want us to look at this morning. I want us to get real with ourselves this morning because what happens in our lives, we tend to be much easier on ourselves than other people. We tend to be a lot less judgmental on ourselves than other people. We tend to give ourselves a lot more grace than we do other people. Can I get an amen? 830 crowd. Okay, so we tend to be that way. So, so here's where I want us to get, get real about this. Instead of just looking at this and saying, well, I've never really done any of those things, so I guess I'm okay. And what Jesus does is he gets to the heart of those manners. He gets to the heart of what God was talking about here. Because what Jesus does for us is he shows us that we're all lawbreakers. And he gets to the heart of, of man and really what their desires were. And so let's get real for a minute. Let, let, let's think of this. How many of us at one time or another told a lie? Okay, how many of one time? I don't care if it's a white lie, any kind of lie. How many of us, God says, do not lie, okay? How many of us, kind of blur the truth a little bit, okay? You kind of twist it a little bit. You, you knew what you were doing, but you said, well, you know, that was, right? And we know in our heart of hearts that we blatantly lied about it, right? Okay, so, so all of us have done that one time or another. How many of us at, at one time or another took something that wasn't ours? Now, I'm not talking about robbing a bank, but... Maybe you did that, but I'm not talking about that. How, how, how about this? How many of us uh, magically, all right, let's just say magically, pens or office supplies from our office magically found their way into our homes, right? Boy, it got real quiet in here. Okay, so how, how many of you, let me ask this question. How many of you, you have one or more living word pens at your house? Okay, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, okay, I'm just, I know I shouldn't have gone there, but I did, okay. Um, um, 
<laughs> all of you are, you're like, oh my goodness, how did Pastor know that? And you, and you say to yourself, I got to bring these pens back because we got way too many, right? And I see them because I'm in your cars and I've been in your house. I'm like, wow, you guys got a really nice living word collection of pens there. Very good. Um, um, how many of us, think of this way, how many of us, we may not have murdered somebody, but how many of us have done that in our hearts? We've shown hate and animosity towards someone in our hearts. How many of us have looked over the fence at what our neighbor has and, and in our hearts, we coveted a little bit. You said, well, gee, look at them driving their nice new fancy cars. Isn't that special, right? Mm, must be nice to drive a new car around. Mm, mm, look at their new trailer they got for camping. Isn't that special? There's this 31 feet and mine's only 20 feet. Must be nice. They have two bathrooms in theirs and I only have one. Isn't that special, right? How many of us, and I'll go to myself, because I jog around our neighborhood and I see a nice bass boat. I got to admit, boy, that's a nice boat. Why don't they just give that to me? But anyways, okay. So how many of us, even Jesus goes so far is to even say about adultery. And we say, well, I've never committed adultery. But Jesus says, if you've lusted after another person, you've committed the very act of adultery in your heart. So if, if, if we're honest, honest with ourselves, all of us, every single one of us are in the same boat if we are honest with ourselves. So if we admit it before God, if we really admit it before God, every single one of us are cheaters, adulterers, liars, coveters, and thieves. Right? Every, I'm, just, I'm just calling it what it is. Every single one of us. Are, I know we don't like to because we like to give ourselves grace and we want to say, well, it's really not that bad. But I want you to realize not only is it not that bad, but it's so much worse than you even think before a holy God. Okay? So aren't you glad you came to church today? But it, listen, hang with me here. So if God, listen, if God is a good and fair God, how should he judge us if we just admitted that we are cheaters, liars, adulterers, coveters, and thieves? If, if he is fair, right, then, then the, the result of that is that we are all doomed. We are all doomed. We, we, we would not think if he is a good judge, he's simply going to overlook our law breaking. We have broken the law of God. If he is good and if he is just, he has to judge our waywardness. Now, here's the problem. For some odd reason, we don't think we will have to give an account for our lives. But we just read all those verses that said every single one of us, whether you're a follower of God or not, are going to have to give an account of our lives. And if we live with that mindset that we will have to give an account for our lives, guess what? Everything changes. Everything changes. All of a sudden, there's this new look of God, of fear, like, God, I'm going to have to give an account that, that you have made me a steward of my life, that you have given breath into my lung, that I'm going to have to give an account for my life. So the question is this, how do we change our status from guilty to innocent? And remember this, just remember this, we start guilty. Because we're born with a sin nature, thanks to Adam. We don't start innocent. It's not, it's not innocent until proven guilty. The word of God says we've all fallen short of God's glory and perfection. 
So we are all guilty. We are all under God's judgment. So how do we change from guilty to innocent? Well, the short answer is you can't. So let's pray and just go home. No, you can't do it in your own strength. So, so how, what is the answer? Here, here's the answer. God is so good that he knew that we couldn't fix ourselves. He, what, what he did for us is what we couldn't do for ourselves. So God being infinite in his mercy and his love for you and I, what he does is he pours out his grace upon us through his son, Jesus. And what Jesus does for you and I, because he was perfect and without sin, he took the judgment for you and I. That's how loving God is. God did not spare his only son for you and I. So God, what he did, he didn't overlook our sin. He didn't whitewash it. He didn't bat his eyes to it. But his judgment cost him dearly. I love this verse. Listen to what John says here in 1 John 2, 2. And what he talks about is Jesus and what Jesus actually came to do for you and I. He says that Jesus, he's a propitiation for our sins. And not only for, for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So what is this verse saying? Well, the word propitiation means that Jesus literally took on the wrath or judgment of God upon himself, and then he turned it into favor. So all that judgment that was being poured out upon us, we just, we just all admitted that we are liars, cheaters, adulterers, and, and, and we're all coveters, right? We just all admitted that, right? Amen? Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, you're a coveter. No, I'm just teasing. Okay, so, so we all just admitted that, okay? So we're all under God's judgment. So what, G, what, what Jesus does for us is he takes on that judgment of God, not only does it, but he turns into favor. So Jesus becomes our sacrifice for our sins. He was our substitute. Because of our sin, there has to be a penalty paid for that. So if, he, if, if a judge is a righteous judge, he's going to execute some type of judgment because of the law that was broken. Okay, without that, there would be no consequences to our actions, Right? And we have to live our lives by thinking there are consequences to our actions. There are consequences to the way we live our lives. How many of you with children say, amen, pastor, you want your kids to understand there are consequences. And you're hoping that because of these consequences, they're going to think twice about the way they behave and they live their lives. So, So what Jesus does is, he takes the judgment for us by his own sacrifice. He pays the penalty that was due to every single one of us. Jesus takes it upon himself. He dies on a cross. He takes our sins upon him. He takes the judgment of God upon himself and literally sheds his blood for you and I. He becomes our sacrifice. That's how much God loves us. And for those that put their faith in Christ Jesus by believing that he's the answer, that he's the only way to God, that he's the only one that can forgive, by us putting our faith in Jesus, what God does now is he imputes the righteousness of Christ into our lives where no longer are we under God's judgment. 
because we are now under Christ and what he's done for us. And that only comes by faith, by me putting my trust and my faith in Christ Jesus and believing that he is the only one that can forgive me of my sins. And when I do that, God forgives me and my penalty is now wiped away and God stamps my life as saying, paid in full. Your sins are no longer held against you. Now, does that mean I'm going to sin again? Sure. Does that mean I'm going to make mistakes again in my life? Yes. But now I can come to God through Christ Jesus and confess my sins. And the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive me of all my unrighteousness. So Jesus becomes the sacrifice for our sins and he becomes our substitute. I like what Oswald Chamber he explains this point very well. He says, God is just in saving bad people only as he makes them good. Our Lord does not pretend that we are all right when we are all wrong. The atonement by the cross of Christ is the propitiation God uses to make unholy people holy. So now in Christ Jesus, God sees me as holy. And because of that, now I am able to approach God through Christ Jesus, knowing that my sins are forgiven and I don't have to fear God or fear his judgment. Now, am I going to still have to give accountability for my life? Yeah, I will. I'll have to give accountability for what God has done. I'm still going to have to give account for that one day. But I'm not going to be judged for my sins. It's not a judgment in Christ Jesus. It's not a judgment whether or not I go to hell or heaven. That's not the judgment where I am forgiven now. And the gift that God gives us in Christ Jesus is that gift of eternal life. So I like what Oswald Chambers says there. I like what J.R. Packer says in his book, Knowing God. He says this. He says, run from him now and you will meet him as judge then and without hope. Seek him now and you will find him and you will then discover that you are looking forward to that future meeting with joy, knowing that there is now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. See, that's the hope now. The hope now is that no matter what I've done in the past, no matter what happened in my past, that is wiped clean, that God no longer holds that against me any longer. He wipes my slate clean. And now in Christ Jesus, I can stand before God, not with that guilt, not with that condemnation, but now I can stand before God and I can say, God, I have messed up. I've made so many mistakes. But God says, because of your faith in Christ Jesus and your faith in him, you are now forgiven and your sins have been wiped clean. Amen. That's the good news. That's the only hope we have is in Christ Jesus that he does that for us us. Um, I want Mike just to slip to the piano because I, I just, I, I want just to finish with this um, image that I want you to see um, how God does this. And here's how God does it. Here's how God does it. In the Old Testament, you've got a perfect picture of God and his holiness as represented in the temple, in the tabernacle. And what 
God does for us is he gives us this image of his, of his holiness. And it's seen in this place called the Holy of Holies. And, and when, the whole, when the high priest would approach this Holy of Holies, there was a, a curtain that separated the, the common place or the, 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 the place where everybody could see to this Holy of Holy of places where only the high priest could go into once a year. And this Holy of Holies was, was symbolic with the Ark of the Covenant. And, and in that Ark uh, of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments, which showed the, the, the guilt of, of, of all the people. It was the Ten Commandments. That was all the, the thou shall nots. And, and there's, this, there's this thing that showed them, this is your sin. This is how you've um, fallen short of me. This is, this is how you've um, missed me. And so what, what the priest would do is he would come in once a year with, with the blood of an animal as a sacrifice to atone for not only his sins, but to atone for the sins of the people. So he would, he would walk in with this sacrifice. He'd make an atonement for himself and, and walk in with this blood. And, and what's neat about this is symbolically there was, there was two goats. One goat would be sacrificed and then one goat would be, would be let out into the wilderness. And, and what, what the priest would do is lay the hands on one goat, which that goat was called the scapegoat. And, and that goat would be released, showing that, that God has forgiven their sins and their, their sins were forgiven. It was a vivid imagery to those people that saying God had forgiven their sins and this goat would go off into the wilderness and this other goat would be sacrificed. Now, what they would do is they would take this blood and they would go in to this Holy of Holies. And there was a lot of fear and trembling because, because you just didn't approach God's holiness. And, and if, if, if they didn't do everything perfect, if the sacrifice wasn't perfect, if it wasn't just by God's instructions, that priest would die in his presence because nothing unholy so unless you approached God with that sacrificial blood, you would die in his presence. And so what this priest would do is he would walk in, trembling, fear, with the blood of this animal. And this is what he would do. Listen, listen. He would take the blood and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Now, what the mercy seat was, it was over the Ark of the Covenant. It was over the Ten Commandments. You see a duplicity there. You see this condemnation of this law that showed, hey, you fell short. You messed up this week. You told a lie. You took something that wasn't yours. And there's all this condemnation. And then on top of that is God's mercy where God says, I am going to forgive you. Because there was a sacrifice made. And because you gave this to me and you sprinkled this with the blood that, that represents the life of the animal and that you gave this sacrifice for me, I am going to atone. It was also called the atonement cover, the mercy seat. I'm going to atone for your sins for this year. Now, for the worshiper of God and that priest would come out, they're like, whoo, God has forgiven us for this year. But you know what? They would have to do it year after year after year after year. And when it stopped is when Jesus Christ came. Because when Jesus offered himself up as our propitiation, 
for our atonement, when he came, it was a once and for all sacrifice, the Bible says. And so the Bible now says that when we come to Jesus Christ, we can now boldly approach the throne room of God, not in our strength, not in our goodness, but when we boldly approach the throne of God, we do it through Christ Jesus. And the Bible says it's there where we find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. And so what I would tell you today is I would tell you to literally run to the mercy seat of God. I would tell you to run there. You see, what happens to us when we screw up, we go the other way. We hide like Adam and Eve and like, oh, God doesn't know what we did. And we run away from God. We run away from church. We run away from other believers. We run away from the word of God. And God said, no, I want you to run to those things because that's where you're going to find forgiveness. That's where you're going to find mercy. I'm going to be there. I'm not going to despise you. I'm not going to stiff arm you. I'm not going to cast you out like Pastor Mike said. I'm going to receive you. Now I'm going to, am I going to receive you? I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to cover you now. And I'm going to bless you. And your sins are going to be covered in my son Jesus. You run to that mercy seat. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're hiding from today. I don't know what things in your past condemn you today. I don't know what guilt is dragging you down today, but I'm here to tell you that when you run to the mercy seat, God will cover you and he will forgive you. I'm telling you, you're not going to find that in a self-help book. You're not going to find it there. Because the self-help books don't deal with the root of the issue. And the root of the issue is we're all lawbreakers. And until we deal with that root issue, you're never going to find full forgiveness that only Jesus Christ can give to you today. So run to that mercy seat. What I want to do is just, just closing it out. I, I, there's this really, um, my son Colby was given this book called I Am Second. And it's testimonies of celebrities and football players and athletes and so on and so forth. And a lot of people look at their lives and they think, oh, they got it all together and blah, blah. And they're, they're just showing you that, you know what? I'm second to Jesus Christ. And um, I saw one um, test. I hate to do this because it wasn't a Buffalo Bill player, but I loved his testimony. So I'm going to show it to you anyways, even though it's not a Buffalo Bill player. But it's Jason Witten, who's a tight end for the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. Not on the Buffalo Bills, but that's okay. We'll show it anyways. But I love his testimony. And I want to show it to you today because what I love about his testimony is here's a, a man that was raised in a single home, a lot of bitterness. And I want you to see his testimony of how he came to God and bowed to his grace and humbled himself before God. And you can get the book. You can go online, just, just Google I Am Second. And there is all kind of testimonies from Daryl Waltrip to NASCAR drivers to country singers. It's just great hearing their testimony and how they put Christ first in their life now. And many of because of tragic things that have happened in their life. So, so I want you to look at that and then, and then, and then. We'll close. So go ahead and look at the, at the screen. This is Jason Witten, tight end for the Dallas Cowboys.
we all know where our blessings come from. And for me, that's from God. And, and no matter how many fans come out or, or 100,000 people are cheering, I know that my strength and my ability is from Him. I never really thought my struggles were something that it was just on me. I always felt like um, I had a, a hard heart towards God and just, just resisted it in every way you could. And, all the failures and all the tough times growing up and, and a single parent home and, and just a, a rough childhood, all those things led me to resist God. And, and finally, when I opened my heart to Him and I, I met my wife, that was really when I knew that God had a plan for me and that He um, He was what I needed. Really, God just he didn't resist me. He, he took me in His arms and just showed me what life is all about and, and really what I'm here to, on earth to do, and that's to live for Him. Every decision I make, I try to make it for God and, and, and use the right judgment to, to do so. Obviously, I, I make mistakes. I still fail every day. But I know through Him and His grace that I can have everlasting life. And I, um, I walk with Him every day. I talk to Him. It's, it's like He's my friend. Well, my personal relationship with Jesus is, is personal. That's exactly what it is. I mean, uh, God's blessed me in so many ways in my family and I've just learned so much with him and having life without him and, and really resisting him in my life and now to a point in my life where he's so involved in it everything I do is that relationship with him that's what my life's about and I really want to spread the word of Jesus and, and know the impact that he has so without Jesus I'm nobody I'm definitely humbled by him and, and my relationship with him I'm Jason Witten, and I am second. Here's how I wanted to <clears throat> close the service today. There's, a, there's an old hymn that was written in the 1700s, and it's called Rock of Ages. And as I was reading um, the words, because some of the older hymns have such rich words, and, and as I was reading through rock of ages and i just remember singing that song as a kid and and, and sometimes when you're you're younger you sing these songs you don't really listen to the words you just sing them because you're used to singing them and all of a sudden when you come into a relationship with christ and you know how much christ has forgiven you and you know the debt that was paid that that you knew that you could never pay your own and how much he's forgiven us and, and these words come from a writer that understands that when we are in trouble, when we are down, when we are sad, when we screw up, there's this constant person in Jesus that never changes, that he is that rock through the ages, that he is literally the cleft that we hide in, that we run to, that God is not saying, I'm going to, I'm going to forget you or that, that I'm going to ignore you, that God says, listen, I know, I know you messed up. I know your life. I know you're a sinner. I know you made a lot of mistakes. But I'm here to forgive you. I'm here to give you a second chance. And some of you here, you feel like, do I deserve a second chance? And I'm here to tell you absolutely yes. Because in Christ Jesus, every single one of us deserve a second chance. And so when you run to him, he forgives, he cleanses, 
He changes you from that old person to that new creation, which is now in Christ Jesus. Let me just read you a couple of these things, and then we're going to close. I'm just going to, I love um, the Christian singer Chris Rice, and he did a great, I just like his voice, but he did a thing on Rock of Ages, and I'm going to have, I was going to sing it for you, but I'm going I'm to let him sing it because he does a lot better job at it. But let me read just a couple um, verses of Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side, which flowed, be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And just as we close today, I just want you to, if you want to sing along with it, go ahead. But I just want you to look at the words and see how rich these words are today. And maybe for some of you here today, you just need to run to that rock of ages and hide in that cleft today realizing that God has been waiting for you all along. He's been waiting for you. And he accepts you exactly where you are. Beaten, bruised, guilty, condemnation in your heart. He accepts you. Let him wash you today. Let him cleanse you through his son today. So um, just look up the words. Chris Rice is going to sing it, but look at the words as we just close today and just just worship the Lord and just let God touch you today. Lord, we just come before you this morning and Lord, we thank you that you are that rock of ages, that you never change, that you're the same today, yesterday, and forever. And I pray this morning that as we come to you, that we would cling to that rock, that we would run to the mercy seat, that we wouldn't run from you, but we would run to you, that we would find the forgiveness that we would find the cleansing power of Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives. And I pray that for anybody here today, that, Lord, they can call upon you and you are worthy to save. You are worthy to forgive, to change us from that verdict of guilty to innocent now because of Jesus and what he's done for us. So I pray as we walk out of this place today that we wouldn't walk with the heaviness of condemnation or guilt any longer over our heads that we would walk out of this place knowing what Jesus Christ had done for us and that through that, our love and our gratitude would be to serve you now, Jesus, and to do what you've called us to do and to become obedient to you in our lives, that we would put you first. So we thank you for your grace and your mercy when we least deserved it. Thank you for your love that's so amazing. We can't even begin to comprehend it, but we just trust you with our lives now. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' wonderful name, in Jesus' wonderful name. And if you believe that, say amen with me this morning. Amen. Amen. Let's just thank the Lord for his word today. Amen. Listen, uh, just as Marie expressed at the beginning, if any of you need prayer today for anything that you're going through, our prayer partners will be up front. We'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, go enjoy this beautiful, beautiful Sunday, which is not going to be with us too much longer in Rochester, New York. Amen. So God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Amen.